Hello. And welcome to Stats Will Roll, the podcast that will randomly generate all your characters so that you don't have to. My name's Abby, better known as D8Bit Gaming on the internet. And I'm Alex, better known as Mr. Puddins on the internet. And you probably know us from our regular uh, stream on Twitch, Chromatic Chimera. But more importantly, tonight we have a super important guest. We have our good friend Jared Bornegal from Monsters and Multiclass, another podcast that talks all about uh, monsters, multiclassing, that kind of thing. But you know what? I'm going to let him take it away. (laughs) Yeah, the name is fairly self-explanatory. Yeah, my name's Jared. I'm from Monsters and Multiclass. We are also a D&D discussion podcast. You don't get a ton of those. Um, so what our thing is, is each week we do a deep dive into a random multi-class and talk about how to build that character from a mechanic standpoint, as well as a role play perspective. Uh, and then we, after that, take a look at a different monster, talk about the lore and talk about how to run them as a DM and how to fight them as a player. Um, you can find us at uh, monstersandmulticlass.com or monstersandmulti, uh, the Twitter. I don't even know the handle. It doesn't matter. I'm looking at it right now. So I could tell you it's at monsters <laughs> underscore multi. Okay. I'm Perfect. sure Thank if you, you, I'm sure if you just search uh, monsters and multi-class, it'll appear in the search tab. But today we are changing it up again a little bit. Uh, obviously we have Jared with us, but also, also we're going to be making our first multi-class on stats. We'll roll. Woo! Yeah, I mean, we thought it would be a really good idea to kind of like bring the two ideas together, uh, us building a character and making it a multi-class to tie in with uh, with Jared's podcast. Yeah, and usually I have a lot more time to prepare as we like, roll like, like a week before, so we get to see uh, my, my multi-class knowledge. <laughs> well, well stats will roll we don't prepare no yeah. stats will roll is all improv uh and, and with that uh are you guys ready to roll up a character i think so believe so okay but can anyone ever truly be ready <laughs> today we are making a lawful good goblin fighter with the hermit background and we've got some pretty decent stats we've got a 17 a 16 a 15 a 12 11 and an 8 yeah, that's pretty impressive right from the start here. I mean, that uh, you got a fighter. So first thing I'm thinking is, you know, that that high one you either want to put in strength or dex. And a 17 gives you a lot to work with. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm personally going to lean towards dex just because of the goblins. Um, the goblin has a stat boost that will give them plus two to dex, so our 17 will become a 19. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, a dex fighter. I don't think we've done a dex fighter so far on this podcast. No, I think we went with a Dex Paladin when we made Combat Oh, okay. So a Dex Fighter would definitely be very interesting. And then that 16 would probably go into Constitution then? Yes, depending on what sub uh, subclass, depending. Okay. So like if we ended up going like Eldritch Knight or Arcane Archer, we would want to... Uh, put that put the 16 our second highest stat into intelligence to help our spell casting oh okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna counter that a little bit because uh, i'm all about that optimization uh <laughs> it would probably be better to throw the 17 into constitution get that up to 18 so you get the plus three and then put the 16 into decks so that you're getting the plus two on that and you're not getting any wasted stats oh i like the way you think that's actually, that's very smart thinking there, Jared. Um, <laughs> you're right, because it, um, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, uh, because even when we get the first ability score increase, we can turn our strength into a 20. 
Right, right. So, I mean, <laughs> there, there are some ways to do it. Like, for example, there's the heavy armor feat, which is like a, a half feat that raises it by one, and then you get some other stuff, like a minus three to every hit uh, physical damage. Um, but I think usually it's better to just start off with like all, that's always my goal. It's like, if I can get everything on an even number, then I'm happy. Oh yeah, no, I agree. Uh, but I do like the heavy armored feat. Uh, mitigating three damage from regular attacks, which are happening a lot, that's big. Like, No, it really is, yeah. So the um, heavy armor master, to explain that more in case anyone doesn't know, um, yeah, as I mentioned, a half feat raises your strength by one. Um, you have to be proficient in heavy armor to start. And then um, every single, again, hit you take, as long as it's from bludgeoning, piercing, slashing damage, is reduced by three. And I took it in my last campaign in Out of the Abyss and was made fun of for it because they're like, oh, that's really not going to come up that much. But like, it really drops some damage after it scales up. You know, once creatures get multi-attack, you're yes. decreasing it by like six, nine, 12 damage. That's what um, I was going to say. It's yeah, like it's once stuff once you have monsters de uh, attacking more than once a turn and also once it uh most monsters if you look at them they most of them pack a regular bludgeoning piercing slashing attack even like right. really high level monsters so it's not like it's a dead feat it's a really good feat to take right i remember um i would just like kind of keep it to the side just like kind of add up how much damage i mitigated just to show <laughs> at the end like hey i'd be dead by now just just so old <laughs> heavy armor haters uh <laughs> I, I recommend it to like everyone who plays a fighter or paladin I play with. I recommend it. I'm like, yo, this is like the this is the one to take. You, you get a strength <laughs> boost, and then you get all that other good stuff where you're mitigating damage, and damage mitigation's big. Yeah, I am all about those feats that also kind of act as a partial ability score increase. Those are very nice. Definitely. And uh, tying it back to the goblin, I love yes. the idea of a her hermit goblin who is extremely well-versed in wearing heavy armor and, like, fighting with it. Maybe. Now this is getting <laughs> a little ahead of ourselves. Normally we talk mechanics first and then we kind of get Fair into this enough. whole narrative thing. But I, I definitely would love the idea of like a goblin who maybe found a suit of armor and was like obsessed with wearing it. Oh my God. <laughs> so like the goblin's like a scavenger. Yeah. Kind of like lives in a junkyard and yeah. grabs armor, puts it on and is like, I look good in this. Right, exactly. <laughs> but but we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So, <laughs> so uh, a little bit about goblins real quick. Uh, as you said, Alex, uh, they get their decks increased by two and they get their con increased by one. Uh, both things that lend themselves very well to dex fighters. Very much so. And then also we're going to get dark vision because almost every race in 5e gets dark vision. But what <laughs> makes them really cool is their fury of the small feature. Uh-huh. Where it's like, basically, if you damage a creature that is larger than you, uh, you can deal extra damage equal to your level once per short rest. Yeah, that one always seemed, I mean, it's not horrible when it comes to uh you know racial traits i think that's that's something i mean it's free damage right every short yeah. rest um that obviously scales up well like if you're level 20 doing an extra 20 damage when you want to is fantastic oh um, yeah oh but yeah. i think the one that really speaks to me is their next thing the nimble escape mm -hmm. where they can disengage or hide as a bonus action on each of their turns without taking a level in rogue exactly <laughs> 
Yeah, it does. so I agree. The nimble escape is the one, especially with a deck style fighter. And if we're going to be up close and personal, we're going to be able to duck in and out and use that to help us even gain. If you're using the flanking rule, use that to gain an advantage on attacks. Mm-hmm. Whereas most other classes would maybe have to incur attacks of opportunity or the like. Right. And being able to just disengage again as a bonus action, I mean, just gives you so much control over the battlefield and just mm-hmm. being able to run around wherever you need to. Oh, totally. And and it's like you don't have to burn the action. You can still attack and disengage. So I, I agree. That's really cool. So uh, I jumped ahead a little bit. I went over to to look at fighters, uh, something I am obviously very familiar with. I play almost exclusively melee classes. Uh, that is not a brag. That's a that is a shortcoming <laughs> of myself. <laughs> that that's a shortcoming for me. Uh, but. I do have to say that picking a dex-based fighter not only goes really well with Goblin, but it lends itself very well to multi-classing. And even before we get into subclasses, I'm immediately thinking multi-class with either Rogue or Monk. I could see that. Um, Rogue is... I'm trying to tie it in with the the hermit background, just like mm-hmm. keeping it in the back of my mind, because I feel like that alone is really going to drive the multi class. Because mm-hmm. um, hermit, like that's that's speaking leaps and bounds about what this goblin is. Is yes. for a goblin, which are normally very social creatures, at least in their own little uh, circles, a hermit one would be almost an outcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, trying to think around, like what would make a goblin an outcast? And rogue could work in the sense of, like, to be an outcast, that means you're kind of, you know, living off the streets, living alone. The rogue has a lot of, like, fending for yourself ideas. So mm-hmm. I kind of like that. And that, that, that yeah, I would agree. Uh, rogue is definitely lends itself to those ideas. And when we get to the narrative side, that is definitely something we have to consider is why would this goblin be living alone? How did they end up here? That's definitely something to consider. Um, I, I do like Rogue. I also like Monk, but my issue with Monk, and I think I think a lot of people would agree with me, they're one of those classes that really scales on themselves. And Entirely. Start, yeah, and once you, it's like, kind of like the Warlock, is it, I'm thinking of, where it's like, once you start dipping out of the class, you're actually hurting it more than you're helping it due to because of just the way they scale right it's one of the few um uh multi-classes that every time it comes up for us uh it's always like you know if it's a it really just doesn't work really well as a multi-class to be honest mm-hmm. uh, it has a lot of issues beyond it's uh multi-attribute dependent where you need dex and wisdom which mm-hmm. doesn't really yeah. come up for this one um but it's just as you said where it just scales so well on itself that to take like a small dip in it you basically lose everything that makes the other classes interesting as well because you're now you're a monk you can't yes. get out of that to do that, anything monkly you need to be not wearing any armor and you need to have high decks yeah and the the whole idea of the fighter is to wear armor but i do agree rogue does have a lot to offer by just dipping even just a single level into it it's beautiful i love a rogue yeah. dip <laughs> i i think so i think that's what we're gonna go with that we're gonna go with a fighter rogue so before if- we commit to that <laughs> 
Okay. And I, I gotta throw a wrench in. Things. Okay, go ahead. Throw um, a wrench. So goblins have this interesting idea of magic that mm -hmm. I believe they call booyag. Um, <laughs> I'd have to double check that. I I we did an episode on it forever ago, but okay. uh, there's a lot of times where goblins will study under hobgoblin wizards and like steal their spell book spell books or like sneak a peek from them mm -hmm. and like start to learn magic from that and become booyag casters. That's basically what they call magic is booyag. Okay. So there can be some hilarity at the very least from a <laughs> goblin that has magic, either from the, like they learn it through being a wizard or mm -hmm. through like a sorcerer. So we're definitely not limited to melee classes here just because they're a goblin. Oh, oh no. And like Eldritch Knight wizard combos are actually, even though it would seem like it would be redundant. Yeah, it does kind of sound like it would be. But it's actually a decent combo or even like uh, Arcane Archer wizard. Mm -hmm. like, you'd be like shooting arrows and flinging fireballs. The idea would be basically, I've built a few quote unquote gish builds in the past. And the idea is, is instead of taking single damage spells, you use your magic then to round out utility and buffs and, Definitely. Other, and uh, your quote unquote nukes, the rune clearers. Now, I, I, I am very much enjoying the idea of an arcane archer wizard. I do think that would be very cool. I say we go with it. I yeah. Like it. Let's do it. And okay. I, I'm going to hold on to that idea of the Booyag and Steve <laughs> Hobgoblins and stuff. Because that actually might be a really good reason to explain how they became an outcast in the first mm. place. There we go. Yeah, no, that's a great point. You tie in, maybe they were um, sneaking looks from the Hobgoblin's book and the Hobgoblin find, found out and they used their magic to escape the Goblin tribe and then ran off into the woods or wherever, um, maybe with the book to continue studying. Oh. Exactly. So uh, talking a little bit about Arcane Archer. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about fighters before, so I think we can we can bust through this pretty quickly. Um, we don't need to talk about the, uh, the the regular fighter stuff as much. No, well, with the arcane archer, it's just important to note you will focus on archery, mm -hmm. weapons, um, even maybe consider eventually getting the crossbow expert mm -hmm. uh, feat, something that'll allow you to maybe. Or maybe sharpshooter. Sharp you know shooter. what's interesting? Um, crossbow expert. I think crossbow expert applies to all ranged attacks. But something that I always hate is that your arcane shot specifies that you have to use a longbow or a shortbow. Yes. Really? I just yeah. was remembering that. I yeah. I, I thought it was so weird because I was playing the old school artificer back when they still had the thunder cannon or whatever. And I was like, oh man, it'd be pretty dope to dip into arcane archer. And I'm reading it. I'm like. Oh, that's lame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I, um, I currently have somebody who wants to go into the arcane archer, and they have like a hand crossbow, and they're like, "Is it cool if we just hand wave that?" I'm like, "Yes, it's totally fine if we." <laughs> Dude, like, I would I would hand wave it if someone's like I want to be I want to throw axes and be an arcane archer. Do that. <laughs> as I long as it's ranged. That's like honestly, that's my only caveat is as long as you're making ranged attacks, I don't care. Right. So like, if you want to go arcane archer but be like an arcane javelin thrower, like, <laughs> please do. It, and it's not like the damage is gonna be any different or anything. It's Actually, probably gonna be worse. Yeah, if you're going to go, like, throwing knives, Arcane Archer, you're actually taking a hit to you how much damage you'll be dealing. Right, and and one of the issues with Arcane Archer is, like, 
you're pretty limited on your resource. Um, it's not something that you can just do like every single attack, you're getting some benefit. It's more like every once in a while, you can use this resource and get like an okay effect. Yeah. Um, it's not to say it's like a bad class as a whole, but it's definitely not the like the heavy hitter that like you're going to break no. it by making it, I don't know, weaker. If anything, you're going to be making yourself weaker. And that's always fine. That, yeah. I mean, so like from what you're saying, it is limited. You only get two uses of this arcane shot, that feature, which is kind of like the premier feature of the arcane archer where it's like champions, they just do a lot of critting. Battlemaster, you get so many maneuvers. Yep. Oh my god, I, I am a Battlemaster fanatic, so don't even yeah. get me started. I went Paladin uh, and then Battlemaster in my last campaign, again, where I took that heavy armor feat and absolutely fell in love. The Battlemaster oh, every so time good. comes up, I'm just like, yep, that's the best fighter class. Everything oh, else, yep. so good. <laughs> because, it, because, because it doesn't play like a fighter. You're basically playing a heavy armored monk when you play the Battlemaster. Yeah. And Battlemaster takes advantage of action economy. You want to make an effective character in 5e, make a character that can use every action every round. Yeah, definitely. And that's that's the best part of it. And you never have a wasted role either. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just, it's good. It's too good. It's really good. So let's cover uh, these two seventh level abilities for Arcane Archer real quick, and then we'll hop over to Wizard um, and, and get that all kind of sorted out. Uh, so like, so basically your arcane shot allows you to, in, you get to choose some options to infuse your arrows with twice per day. And basically on the seventh level, your ranged attacks become, with the bows become magical for the purposes of overcoming resistances. Uh, and then you can like curve your shot. <laughs> so you learn to direct an errant arrow towards a new target. So if you miss with a magic arrow, you can use a bonus action to reroll the attack roll against a different target within 60 feet of the original. <laughs> See, that one's interesting. Not just because, I mean, that's really good. I love that. Being able to use a bonus action to reroll an attack against a different target, perfect. But I think what's interesting is it specifically mentions when you make an attack roll with a magic arrow. Yeah, right. All of your arrows become magical at seventh level. I just, why do they even need to put that in, I wonder? Um... It's honestly a really good question. I mean, uh, it might have something to do with, like, so, some enemies are resistant to non-magic attacks. I just Right, right. I guess I just, I'm trying to think of any reason why you would, like, not want to make it magical every time. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've, sometimes I see things like this, and I'm like, they wrote this in for a really, after some playtesting and stuff, they write it in for a very specific instance where it might come up. And I feel right. like it's like for one of those specific instances you wouldn't think of until it happens. Right, exactly. And then you'd be like, oh, guys, I can actually make my arrow not magical if I want to. And then everyone cheers because it solves the puzzle. Or like my or like my other thought would be maybe you're like, um, th th these come up in like a, some old school video games like Wizardry 8, anti-magic rooms where basically mm -hmm. like magic becomes nullified in a specific oh, area. That's a good point. So, like, if a, if the GM's like, oh, yeah, you're in an area of nullified magic or, like, dispel magic or whatever, effects that can kill magic, your arrows would maybe stop being magic, and then the Arcane Archer loses that power. But they're still arrows. They're still arrows, just not magic arrows. Yeah, I could they're, see they're still some, useful. Yeah, I could see some... some argument from the dm at least that mm -hmm. uh if you are not if you're making your arrows magical after they're shot then if you're doing that in an anti-magic area then they just become entirely nullified 
Oh, that'd be a really rude that. move. <laughs> it, it would, but I think you'd pick up on it after like one attack. And yeah. Deal. And at seventh <laughs> level, you already have two attacks that turn. So yeah. like you shoot the first yeah. one, nothing happens. You're in an anti-magic field. And they go, oh, okay, I'll make it not magical. I guess I can't curve my shot anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The like, Or, you know, you'll figure it out real fast once the wizard goes to cast fireball and it fizzles instantly. <laughs> right. I think if I was a player, I'd still argue about it for like 20 minutes with my GM. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's like one of those things where it's like, okay, GM, you're, you're really targeting all the magic characters here. Did you hand out too many magic items and you really <laughs> want to nerf somebody? And the answer is always yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, so how are we going to tie in this wizard to this arcane archer? There's a, a bunch of different schools that we can pick from. Too many schools to pick from, in fact. <laughs> uh, so we've got abjuration, conjuration, divination, enchantment, evocation, illusion, invention, necromancy, and transmutation. And don't forget about war magic. And actually, war magic. I actually really like war magic. It has some really decent features to it. Are they good with a fighter multiclass? Yes, they are, because I made a fighter wizard multiclass a long time ago. Oh. Log, where the concept was basically a wizard who used a bow. And one of the suggestions was multiclassing into Arcane Archer, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. I think um, if, if we weren't going Arcane Archer, my very first thing would be around blade singing, because mm-hmm. um, I always ignore the elf restriction on that. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. It, but that really, really calls for you to do uh, melee combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's probably not going to be the best. I mean, yeah, war magic's not not bad at all. I don't know how much it's going to add in the sense of like helping the arcane archer. I'm actually interested to to hear how your build how how they synergize together. Um, if I remember correctly, you would use the basically the idea was is that you you were using it to give yourself the the plus two AC against mag, uh against harm and uh, plus four bonuses to saving throws. Basically, I took it for the power surges and the protect for the protective stuff. Okay, so making yourself a little more tanky, which is always nice. The yeah. bonus to your initiative roll with your intelligence yeah. modifier, that's oh, always nice. That was the other one, because I, when I made my multi-class, I was doing a heavy wizard lean compared mm-hmm. to fighter. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I was like the highest, it would, I was doing like fighter five, wizard 15. So I was like, we're gonna wanna get some tankiness on us. <laughs> Um, flame arrows that just bringing it up is a transmutation spell if that's going to affect anything um well i could see it being useful i think a a lot of this in my opinion kind of comes down to what a hobgoblin would specialize in because if we're going with the idea and i I Mm -hmm. might just be stuck on this no no we we get stuck on this stuff all the time don't worry (laughs) about it we get ideas and we have to run with them if a goblin is stealing a hobgoblin's spell book hobgoblins Uh really focus on the war aspect they are warriors through and through so they're probably evocation i would i would say evocation or or war war magic magic. i think both of them honestly fit really well Mm -hmm. And war magic would be nice, like you're wearing your heavy armor, and then you're just like, oh, I'm hit by an attack, or I failed a saving throw. I'm going to just use my reaction for a plus two bonus Mm -hmm. to my AC. Maybe they won't hit a 20 with my plate mail. Yeah. I'm going to say war magic seems like a very good decision to me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'll roll with that. 
And then, like, if when you do use the deflection, sure, you can't cast spells other than cantrips, but you should be shooting people with your bow anyway. Right. It makes it less important to, to cast mm -hmm. anything other than cantrips. Mm -hmm. um, and also, if you have cantrips, you can still cast Booming Blade. And yes. all Gish characters should have Booming Blade. <laughs> should we with an archer because it is a melee weapon requirement oh I mean, you're right well uh, oh you're right but you should you should still have it <laughs> have it handy because we can still Everyone pull a rapier out we can still pull a rapier out we could we definitely could um, so has so as a war magic wizard uh like you guys are saying you get that you you can use your reaction to get that plus two to your AC against an attack, or you can use it to get a plus four bonus to a saving throw, which is very nice. And all you need is a reaction open and yeah. willingness to not cast non-cantrip spells. That's like you can use that as many times as you please then. Hmm. Right. It's kind of nice because it's almost like a, a f less resource-heavy shield. Yes. Mm -hmm. We're normally, I say there's, there's definitely trade-offs. The whole only being able to cast a cantrip thing it changes a lot but it, normally you know shield level one you boost your ac by five but it's a reaction and a you know a spell slot yeah that's a whole yeah. first level spell and the thing is is as we as i was saying like if we were playing like a full-blown casting wizard that not being able to cast non cantrips would really suck but because we're also going to be an arcane archer oh i'll just attack next turn oh no <laughs> yeah definitely now, uh, depending how high we take this multi-class, we're also going to see Power Surge, uh, which allows you to empower your damaging spells. You can store Power Surges for your Intelligence modifier, and basically, whenever you successfully end a spell with Dispel Magic or Counterspell, you gain a Power Surge, because you're basically sapping the magic away. Um, so then once you deal damage to a creature or object with a wizard spell, you can spend a power surge to deal extra force damage equal to half your wizard level. Now that's very nice. So one of the, the hard parts of this one is that this is definitely something that scales better as you level up in wizard. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because, you know, the extra damage equals half your wizard level. If you're only level six, that's three damage. Yeah. And that's, you know, not crazy good. If we're talking like fifth level fighters, that way you have a second attack. Mm -hmm. And then sixth level wizard, you're level 11 in total now. And it's like, yeah, I can deal, you know, three extra damage. Yeah. Like, eh, okay. Like, I guess that's all right. Personally speaking, I think I would, I don't know about forget about power surge, but I definitely wouldn't like, I wouldn't move fighter aside just to get power surge. No, no yeah, I, I would I agree. Would, I would probably focus more on leveling up the fighter aspect and, and maybe just even dip the two levels into war magic to get, uh, to get that arcane deflection and the tactical wit. Yeah, I was yeah, gonna I say with this dip, I don't think I'd be going too deep into wizard. Just get a few, uh, just get enough levels to get me flame arrows because that's yeah. just, I like that idea, especially I think, arcane archer. <laughs> I think the highest I'd go is probably fifth level for third level spells. Oh, okay. Yep, that's what fl flame arrows is a third level spell. Is it so okay? Agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's probably <laughs> the max. And that's still good. You get a ton of wizard spells. And, you know, if, if uh, you just, that's just it. You just get a ton of spells. For mm -hmm. And you can still copy more scrolls into the book. Definitely. And, and say you're in a mid-level campaign. You guys are like level 10, right? So you're five levels into wizard, five levels into fighter, which means you get that second attack from fighter. You get those third level spells from wizard. And it, that, that's like a really good place to be. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, especially um, with the tactical wit, again, that that second level war magic thing of, of being able to just add your intelligence modifier to your mm -hmm. initiative is oh. really helpful when you need mm -hmm. to get off a haste spell to Heck start the yeah. combat. You know, oh, like you want to be yeah. you want to be the first one in and you're causing a problem and then you're up in their face or, or maybe far out again. You get in your position to to be shooting arrows. I mean, that's that's good. I would agree. As an archer, you want to be going first because you can also be taking out or with the arcane archer, you can be like holding certain enemies down, pinning them down so the party doesn't end up becoming surrounded. And then you end up with a situation like the Bilgrim fight from Steam Spell where all chaos breaks loose and the party starts falling apart because tactics are gone. Yeah, definitely. And saying there's there's a lot of really good options for the arcane archer that if you need to start off a combat, I mean, you're just that. You're starting a combat. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, like, I, I really like the, um, the grasping arrow one. Uh, not because it does, like, a ton of damage or anything. It's uh, when the creature's hit by arrow, it takes an extra 2d6 poison damage, and its speed is reduced by 10. And more importantly, it takes 2d6 slashing damage the first Ooh. time on each of its turns, it moves one foot or more without oh. teleporting. Uh, and so then it has to use an action to remove the, the brambles uh, with a strength save uh, versus your, your arcane shot DC. Uh, so I absolutely love that because one, it's there's no save. It's not like it's if they pass something, then they take nothing. It automatically happens. They take 2d6 damage, their speed's reduced, and anytime they move, unless they use their entire action, they're going to be taking 2d6 slashing damage. Yeah, it's like a single target uh, spike growth almost. Yeah. So, I mean, that one is really good. Again, if you're starting off a combat where you, know, you go first, the uh, whoever the, the worst person is that you want to keep back, the the giant that you know if it gets close, it's going to destroy you, you hit him with the grasping arrow. Now, it's either moving slowly and taking damage every turn, moving towards you, or it's going to be uh, wasting an entire action. Yeah, so I agree. I, That's it really me some grasping arrow. <laughs> I, I honestly, I think grasping arrow is probably the best one of the arcane shots. It's it, it's the bread it's bread and butter, as you said. When it hits, it happens, and those are the effects that are detrimental mm -hmm. combat. Not the it hits and then they make a save, but no, it just it happens. Sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Now, before we obsess too much over the amazing mechanics we've given our our amazing character, uh, let's just rush through this hermit background real quick because there's really not too much to cover. Uh, but then we'll get right into that backstory that I think we've already kind of got an idea for. <laughs> Can't help myself. <laughs> no, no. Love it. So as a hermit, you get uh, medicine and religion proficiency. Uh, you get an herbalism kit proficiency, a language of your choice, and you get the feature discovery. So... Uh, that you get like this revelation from your seclusion. You just get to know stuff, but it's like, it's not one of those things that's super nailed down, like, uh, you know, ship's passage or something. It's something you kind of have to work with your DM on. Hmm, and that's just like one thing. Yeah, it's just like you it's, discover a fact about it, something. It could be like some crazy meta knowledge. It could be yeah. something about that's going to happen later in the campaign. Uh, a yeah, lot of that sounds like a campaign starter to me. 
Yeah. Right. Um, these background features, they hardly ever come up anymore, I think. Except Ship's Passage. And I think they're uh, very underutilized by a lot of play. Like, I think players just kind of forget they, they're there because they're yeah. not right there on the character sheet. And then you don't have the person being like, I can find free rooming and lodging with the peasantry around here. Right. And they're actually really good. Yeah, they definitely can be. I, I'd say that um, to an extent, they're forgotten for a reason. Um, just because like when they are that, and I think there's like like 20 of them out of all of the backgrounds that are like, you can get free room and lodging at this place. Yeah. And those ones really fall short to me because, yeah. you know, when you're an adventurer, it's like, how much does the room cost? Oh, it's two silver. Uh, okay. I mean, <laughs> I'll pay the two silver. Or oh, the... out of my trove of 1,000 gold? <laughs> right. Oh, let me see if I have any change. Dumps out their bag of holding into a, like, <laughs> dragon's hoard. Do you have, do you have change but, for a platinum? But, the, but like, the good ones are, like, uh, like the guild artisan, where it's like, oh, we'll, we'll shield you from crime and pay for your funeral, should that ever come up. <laughs> um, or, like, um, or as Abby said, uh, sailor is really good because it's, like, free passage on a ship. Passage on a ship can be expensive. Oh, no, yeah. that's I think that one's really good. Like, yo, you could have circumvented like half the plot of Baldur's Gate. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, if you are playing a hermit, work with your DM, that could definitely be something that would set off an adventure. Like, that's that's a very good point. Right, the goblin running out of the woods to find an adventuring party because it saw some (laughs) horrible thing that's going to destroy the world. I mean, that's easy it writes itself right yeah. so so let's craft a story for our lawful good goblin fighter that's hermit. the hard part right <laughs> the, the lawful good part hmm. yeah yeah i mean what would make a goblin go lawful good i mean would it be maybe it Ooh. okay maybe the the hermit thing like uh, the the discovery feature happens before all of this happens it, it sees some great vision uh from uh ooh, what's the goblin god's name i'm pretty sure i think it is yeah Uh, (laughs) i'm not here (laughs) i'm not the lore person here i swear i didn't know any of it until i was like yeah let's do a podcast and discover the monster lore like i didn't know any of it i just threw stuff um so you know it sees some great vision maybe from a maybe from somebody else it doesn't matter magoobly it's not really a lawful good god Mm -hmm. um and uh, this goblin then sparks off on its own quest because it's like, oh my God, what we're doing is horrible. I need to, you know, steal this book, mm-hmm. learn all the magic I can, and just runs off to the woods to study for a while. Okay. That's what I got. What else? Uh, I, just I, wanna, I do just want to say that uh, you're 100% correct on Magloobliet. Maglu- <laughs> <laughs> um, if it helps. On our show, we call them Magoobles for sure. <laughs> um, other gods would include Kurgor Bayag, the god oh of slavery god. and oppression <laughs> in Royale, and Bargrivyik, the god of yeah. co- cooperation and territory. Oh, maybe, okay, maybe this goblin is a hermit because they're lawful good and they just don't fit in with the other goblins who are all just, you know, evil little beings. Right, right. It's like the one that just like sees differently and it like tries to convince its its group and they're just not having it. Exactly. It, it's it's like little goblin Jesus like, <laughs> who's like, you're, you, you're wrong. We shouldn't pillage and enslave people. I was and then about, the other, sorry. What? 
Oh, I was about to say, yeah, if G, you know, Goblin Jesus, you know, if Jesus didn't work out IRL, but um, <laughs> that didn't end well exactly. Um, go- Goblin Jesus critted for your sins. <laughs> Oof. Oof. I'd buy that shirt. <laughs> God. So... So I do like the idea. Maybe it's not being lawful good that's necessarily the what gets them booted from yeah. the tribe, but it's like definitely an aggravating factor. And then right. when you get into the and so like in goblin hierarchy, like yeah, the hobgoblins would be the ones who are in charge. Maybe their war band is led by this really mean hobgoblin. Um, any of our listeners would know. Abby and I love having these little mini hooks for later for the DM to go with. We love, love it. it. <laughs> and so the the uh, the revelation that the goblin has causes them to kind of try and peek from the hobgoblin's magic tome. And the goblin then like gets caught and s- ends up stealing it. So then during the campaign, perhaps this hobgoblin and the goblin war band come back to like try and uh, hunt down the party multiple times, you know, because the goblin has that hobgoblin's grimoire. And grimoires are hard to come by. You don't just have one you have to they're really especially for i think especially for goblins they're difficult to come by because wizards you know human and elf wizards aren't really handing them out to goblins yeah you think, uh now you got a word i don't know grimoire grimoire what was Grim, that grimoire it's like is that their tome spell book tome okay okay yeah, I mean, those definitely are, are not something that uh, are just being sold on the street corners. You don't just go no. to, uh, you don't just go to uh, D8 Bay and <laughs> buy one, right? I don't think they have, like, uh, Barnes and Nobles for <laughs> goblins. Oh, my God. Every wizard in every campaign would love that, though. They're like, can we go to the Barnes and Nobles that has all of the spells that I want to buy? <laughs> exactly. No, you have to learn them the hard way. Level up like the rest of us. <laughs> But uh, but my point being is, like, what happens then, too, is, like, yeah, that stealing the tome is what gets them the boot from Goblin Society and makes them never want to show their face around other goblinoid creatures. Mm. But then during the campaign, this war band might start, like, sending out scouts. Yeah. And then first it's just regular goblins, and then it's hobgoblins, and then it's goblins and bugbears, and then it's, like, ogres, and and it just keeps getting worse and worse. And then even as the DM, you could set up, like, a an NPC hobgoblin that's built, like, a player character with class levels and stuff to be kind of, like, the boss of their little personal story arc. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, no, that's that's good. And, you know, it... it uh continues to have that uh, that conflict, that inner conflict on the goblin side, because at the end of the day, the goblin's still going to have at least some connection to their tribe, at least mm-hmm. I would expect. So they really get to play that out of, uh, you know, the, the internal struggle that you, that, you know, comes from abandoning your people because you just have to recognize that what they think is wrong. And I don't, I don't agree with it anymore. So yes, they're trying to kill me, but they're my family, but they're awful. So you know, I think that could be really cool for the player. I agree. Uh, it, you really do throw in that inner conflict that, yes, like, and then when the party's like, oh, let's slaughter the goblins that are hunting. You like, know, like, uh, mm, it's like, like oh, that's Gary. Gary. Uh, uh, I, I, I deal some non-lethal damage to Gary. Yeah, he watched my wolf when I uh, went on a, a drunken bender. So <laughs> he's cool. Can we, like, spare him? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, sure, you've got this mean hobgoblin hunting him down, but, like, the other goblins are just cronies that are just kind of almost mm-hmm. just being bossed and bullied around by bigger, meaner goblins and orcs. I like that a lot, actually. 
because then you get the goblin trying to not just you know convince other goblins but really convince the party that like no the problem's the hobgoblins if we like you know take care of them if we put a stop to them then the goblins will be free and they'll you know we can change them i was changed we can change them too yeah we have to liberate the goblins i love mm-hmm. it ah! yeah. no i really i do i really like that that idea that it's the hobgoblins it's the other it's the other people's the other culture that is exerting their aggressive nature on us therefore making us aggressive it really adds a lot of potential Mm -hmm. uh, party discussion role play narrative and just potential role play opportunities between party members Mm -hmm. now um i think we have crafted a wonderful story for this goblin and uh typically the last thing that we do before we close everything out is we come up with a name for this goblin now we try to keep things uh, gender neutral or have a, a masculine and a feminine uh, option just in case. So uh, do you guys have any names that you're thinking of for this lawful good goblin fighter wizard hermit? That's a really big question. Uh, Jesus. Goblin Jesus. <laughs> Yeshua. Um, have I hit them all yet? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> I like. I want to put like a, a goblin uniter on there, like Jesus the Goblin Uniter. Right, uh, breaker, uh, free uh, liberator of goblins. Right. What about <laughs> what about if we're if we're going off this like this Jesus idea? What about like like Jacks or 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 Jex or something like that? Ooh, I like it. I like it. Jex. Li- Jex the uh, Goblin Liberator. Jex the Hob Slasher. The Hob Slasher. I think what what could be good is like um I I like the idea of like the the adage at the end of it, but that's mm-hmm. something that like could then become like the name just grows and grows with time, like in Goblin mm-hmm. circles. Like everyone knows of the legend of you know the the hobgoblin slasher or whatever it becomes um and just keeps getting like the names added on and like like daenerys yeah exactly (laughs) like you know just you you are just this you know and and there is something really really cool about a goblin becoming a well-trained fighter Mm -hmm. and a master of wizardry i mean that's you awesome. You don't see yeah. it every day. And just imagine walking into the town, going into the mages college and them being like, what are you doing here? And then just fight. <laughs> <Right. laughs> so, you know, I think I would call Jex the Goblin Liberator Rolled. What about you? I would. I think I will as well. Awesome. So uh, with that, I'm Abby. I'm Alex. And with us is our friend. Jared. And this has been Stats. Will. Roll. Fuck Cancer Roll Dice is a yearly streaming event dedicated to fundraising for the fight against cancer. This year's event will feature numerous tabletop games, from D&D to Call of Cthulhu and a wonderfully wide cast of hosts and players. Streams will run over the course of three days, from November 22nd to November 24th, and we would be delighted if you would join us at twitch.tv slash coach underscore Zach. That's twitch.tv slash coach underscore Z-A-C. All proceeds from the event will go directly to Fuck Cancer, an organization dedicated to uniting the community in an effort to prevent, detect, and defeat cancer. 
They work hard to build support networks for those who have been diagnosed and to assist in detecting cancer before it's too late. You can find more information about Fuck Cancer on their website at letsfcancer.com. All donations will be handled via Tiltify, so you can be certain where your money is going. So if you're a fan of tabletop games or even new to the community, we welcome you with open arms. Join us the weekend of November 22nd where we say, Fuck Cancer, Roll Dice.